The following is a podcast from St. George's Episcopal Church in Arlington, Virginia. We invite you to support the ministries of St. George's Church through a one-time or reoccurring donation. To give, visit our webpage, www.stgeorgeschurch.org. The word saint is spelled in full. St. George's is a vibrant and inclusive community that is committed to loving God, serving others, and changing the world. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Lord Lord Christ. Jesus said to Judas, not Iscariot, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but it's from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled And do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Generous God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our creator, our redeemer, and our inspirer. Amen. In Revelation, We have a vision of the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Paul and his companions were sent to the city in Macedonia where Lydia and those with her were worshiping by the river. Paul and his companions had come from Troas in northwestern Turkey, not far from the passage to the Black Sea, a trading conduit that had helped build Troy and would later support Constantinople. Paul's travels across the Aegean took him to Philippi, this leading city of the Macedonian region in northern Greece, 
and itself a Roman colony. Once Paul and his fellow travelers arrived, they got the word on the street in terms of the place where the local Gentiles would gather to worship the God of Israel. And so it was that Paul found himself on the Sabbath going down to the river to pray among a people studying about that good old way. And the people gathered there were mostly, if not entirely, women. God's grace unfolded such that Lydia listened with a particular eagerness, and she and all her household were baptized. She then persuaded Paul and his companions to stay in her home, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. Now, living water. Now, if one were to read on beyond our passage this morning, we might learn that others among those in her household were both brothers and sisters. But this was unequivocally, unequivocally Lydia's house. We know Lydia was a prominent merchant because she was a dealer in purple cloth. In the ancient world, purple was the color of royalty. It was extremely expensive. We have to look back to around the year 300 to get a sense of how expensive, but a, dictate, a price edict by the Roman emperor helped zero in on exactly how valuable purple cloth was. Diocletian was the one who dictated that a pound of dyed wool was worth its weight in gold wasn't until 1850 that a chemist working on quinine as a treatment for malaria would accidentally discover a synthetic dye. But for thousands of years before that, purple was made by a painstaking process of trapping deep water marine snails and then extracting and concentrating the dye found in the glands of these particular mollusks. The process can actually be traced back to the eastern Mediterranean, the city of Tyre, just north of Israel. Thousands of shellfish would be collected and then dried so that their glands could be crushed, mixed with salt, and then boiled down over the course of days to make this dye. The odor was apparently awful, and it was a lengthy and involved industrial process to create the dyed wool that could then be made into the brilliant fabrics of violet, purple, and pink, all the colors of the sunrise. Lydia's business was selling this beautifully hued cloth to the most prominent members of Roman society at that time. Looking back, we can imagine that Lydia might well have been the governor's haberdasher if such a thing existed. In modern terms, perhaps she would have been the governor's stylist or personal brand consultant. Next week, we'll hear about the jailer who was baptized along with his whole household and how they rejoiced at his having come to trust in God. But for today, for this week, we're not looking at those later chapters in Acts. Acts tells us that Lydia and her household 
were the first and if we read on the last individuals to be visited by Paul and his companions in Philippi. She puts Paul and his compatriots up and was a powerful part of God's action among the people of Philippi at that time and in the days and years that followed. We can imagine the book of Philippians being written to this community much later even. But I imagine Lydia embodying a liminal space, embodying both the eastern Mediterranean world of Tyre near to Jerusalem where her fabrics were made, as well as the Roman world of Philippi, the colony in which she lived. She lived her life translating across worlds, bridging understandings, creating new opportunities for beauty and abundant life in those around her. She was involved in the life of the city even as she spent substantial time with people beyond the city walls. I imagine that her work during the week took her into the halls of power, conversing with the most influential members of society at that time, and I imagine she had become accustomed to traveling out to the river on the weekend to pray with the other faithful women who were gathered there. In worship, we are effectively saying, yes, we'll gather at the river, that beautiful, beautiful river that flows by the throne of God. Our hymn addresses this rather directly. Dear Mother Earth, you day by day unfold your blessings on our way. It's echoed in our psalm this morning when we said, the earth has brought forth her increase. May God, our own God, give us his blessing. The image of praying beside the river is powerful. Our reading from Revelation describes the new Jerusalem with that crystal clear river of life flowing through the center of the street. That same stream nourishes the tree of life that bears fruit during every month of the year with leaves that are for the healing of all people. The very first psalm describes a person of God being like a tree planted by a stream of water with leaves that do not wither, yielding fruit in due season. The reliable and refreshing nourishment of living water could perhaps be contrasted, or was contrasted by Jeremiah in a somewhat derisive description of an idol being like a broken cistern that constantly needs to be refilled and yet still cannot hold water. In John's Gospel, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, saying that whoever asks him for living water will receive it, and whoever drinks of the water that he shall give shall never thirst, for the water that Christ gives shall become in that person a well of water flowing eternally for life. Living water in scripture is flowing water. Whether a stream, a brook, a stream, a spring, a river. In the desert ecosystem and culture, living water, flowing water meant life, growth, survival. Whether for animals or for humans, the living water that Jesus promises does not require a pe periodic refill, but rather is continually new every morning, every year, every week. In our Eucharist, we combine water and wine in the cup of salvation. This water of life not only reminds us of baptism, 
but it also recalls the time when Christ's side was pierced and both water and blood flowed out. The water could have come from Christ's stomach, but it also could have come from his pericardium, the sack of fluid immediately surrounding his heart. The water and the wine in the cup is Christ giving of his very substance, being willing to have his heart broken in reaching out to each of us. In that cup, we remember and relive the sacrifice that is once and for all, the sacrifice that invites us to be a part of Christ's body in the world as a living sacrifice. Christ is giving of himself week after week, living water offered in order that we might have life and have it abundantly. Christ's power is flowing in us, in the water and the wine, in order that we might begin again in representing this loving kindness in our broken world, as Lydia and Paul and so many others have done before. We represent this living, loving kindness so that we might give others a glimpse of the heavenly Jerusalem here on earth, that others might be shown the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Amen.